Praise God. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Errol. Thank you, everyone, for being obedient to the Holy Spirit and just flowing what God's laying upon your heart. I was so blessed by the, by the different people who spoke out and, and, and brought words. And really, when, when God has the freedom to move like that, there's no telling what God can do. So I want to encourage you, you know, if you, you're nervous, if you feel like your heart is going to burst out of your chest, it's probably because God's wanting to use you. Um, and so just be obedient. And so I just want to thank you um, for, for each and every one of you for participating. Uh, my spirit longs for that. How about you? It's really a blessing when people are just obedient to the Lord. So um, I want to say thank you very much uh, for being so open and uh, I want to encourage that. And if God gives you something and you didn't, you didn't share it this time, please be obedient next time. And we, we can all be blessed and walk in God's blessing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Shall we just bow our heads in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we want to come before you this morning and recognize that you alone have the words of eternal life. Lord, you alone are the only ones that can feed and nourish and sustain us. We thank you that your word is powerful. We thank you that your word is bread. We thank you that your word is substance for our spiritual bodies. And so, Lord, we ask that as we would consider the scriptures this morning, that there would be an impartation, an impartation of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would speak to us, that we would hear, Lord, not the, the words of a man, but we'd hear the Father's heart behind the words, that we'd, that we'd sense the Spirit speaking to us and anointing us. Lord, we're dependent upon you to give life, to give understanding, and to give insight. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would minister to us and that you would bless us this morning as we consider the Scriptures. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I was just wondering, you know, um, who your top three Old Testament characters would be, be your favorite people. And uh, I was thinking about, you know, I think, who would be my, my favorite guys, you know, um, that would be the most powerful. You've probably got a couple of ideas in your head, but for me, I chose Abraham, the father of faith. I chose Moses, and I chose David. Um, but they, these guys all have one thing in common. These were all flawed individuals. <laughs> and I say, thank you, God, because God uses flawed individuals. Amen? Amen. The, only, if the only individual that wasn't flawed was Jesus. The rest of us fall short of what God wants to do in our life. And so, you know, uh, Moses was a miracle worker, a lawgiver, uh, but he murdered somebody, you remember? And God still chose to use him. That gives me hope that if God can use a murderer, he can use you and I. Uh, David was a man after his, uh, God's own heart, and he commits adultery and uh, organizes the death of, of uh, Bathsheba's husband. You know, uh, not sterling examples of, of you know what it is to serve the Lord, and yet despite all these flaws and failings, um, God used these men. And uh, I want us to, to recognize that whenever God calls us to to move or to do something that we are not disqualified because we are flawed individuals. In fact, uh, Jesus was the only one who was not flawed. So God can, uh, only uses flawed individuals. So I was thinking, Lord, what is it that, that you want to say? And I, I kept on getting Moses' name I kept flood, flooding into my heart. And I thought, Moses, okay, Moses, okay. And it was, and I want to tell you, some days the message comes together quite nicely. You know, I always spend Monday to Friday, eight hours a day, studying the Word and, and, and reading a number of examples. And, um, you know, normally Friday afternoon it, it's all done and dusted. And, um, and I feel that I've prayed over, I've sought out the best illustrations I could possibly find. And, um, but this week, man. This week, I struggled, I struggled, I struggled. It was so blessed hard. I said, Lord, what's going on? You know? And uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, I, I finally managed to, to finish it yesterday afternoon. <laughs> and uh, I was very relieved and grateful to, to God for helping me do that. But I was saying, Lord, what is it, is it about Moses that, that you want me to speak on? And uh, the, the idea came... Uh, to an obscure part of the scriptures. Uh, how many remember when God's hero, Moses, um, uh, that God set out to kill him? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You 
know, we're gonna, that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, that that's really was the seed of what God dropped in my heart. And, uh, uh, you know, I started thinking about what, what else it is that God wanted to say. Uh, I, I began to look at the life of Moses. So we're just going to do like a, a cursory overview uh, of the life of Moses. And um, I want to make a couple of observations. First of all, um, believe it or not, Moses' parents were the original movers and shakers of the Old Testament. Uh, they, were, they were really people of destiny. And you think, my goodness, how can, how can that be? These people were, were nothing but insignificant slaves, you know. Um, but it seems that when you look into God's plan for their life, we heard this morning how God has a plan for, for every individual. Uh, and He had a plan for Moses' parents. And um, their, their, their position was not a very prominent one. Amram uh, was the name of Moses' father, and he probably worked uh, making in, in the mud pits, making bricks for, for Egypt, and probably uh, his, his wife, Yoshebed, um, was uh, either a water girl or uh, a gatherer of straw because they had to make bricks with straw. Um, and so their names... Interestingly enough, actually seem to mark them out or predestine them to, to be people of significance, that they're going to do great things, they're going to do mighty things. And in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 2, it says this, It's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out the matter. Hallelujah. So we're going to search out some things this morning, and hopefully we're going to, we're going to see something that, that will bless us and minister to us. Okay, so we're going to search out what it means, uh, what, what their names actually mean, because I believe in, in doing that, God was trying to speak to the Israelites and to us that God has a purpose for our life. And uh, we're going to begin to see how that is fulfilled in the names of uh, 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 Moses' parents, and you can find their names in, in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 20, um, Amram and um, Yoshebed, as, as uh, we've heard, um, but their names are actually compounds. Uh, two Hebrew words are, are put together to make up each name, and so they're actually four Hebrew words making up the two names, um, and it's really a, a coded message of hope. I love this because when you, look, when you look into it, you see that God is trying to speak to the, na the nation who were in, in uh, uh, absolute bondage. They were being beaten. They were being whipped. They must have been discouraged. This had gone on for decades and decades, hundreds of years of oppression and hardship. And they must have been really down. And suddenly um, God is trying to speak to the nation um, through a coded message to lift the people from um, the, their circumstances and to show us that God has a plan and a purpose. So I want to look at, at, at his father's name at first. His name is Aram. Um, and it's made up of, as I said, two parts, two Hebrew words. Um, Arm, which means a people or a folk. And Ra'am uh, means to exalt and lift up. So when you put his name together, it means a people that will lift up and exalt. That sounds like a nice guy to hang around, amen? You know, you're going to go around, I'm going to go around and see your arm. He's going to lift me up and exalt me. And he, he's, that's really what his name means. He's, he's got a, a really good, um, a good message and probably a very nice personality to go along with it. And he married Yoshebel. Um, if you look at how they pronounce it in the Hebrew, it's Jochebed. And Jochebed is actually, again, a compound of two words. Um, Yo is the contraction of... Of the, of, the, of the Hebrew word Jehovah, or Lord. Um, and so, um, if you look at the, the, the second part of her name, uh, Kabed, or Kabal, is the root of that. Uh, and Kabal means glorified and honored. So her name literally means, okay, Jehovah, the Lord, glorified and honored. Wow! I love that! And so when you look at their marriage, you begin to see God is speaking to the people of Israel, that God has a message. And when, when you put Moses' parents' names together, their marriage declares that they are a people destined to lift up and exalt Jehovah the Lord so that, they, so that He is glorified and honored. Amen. 
<laughs> Isn't that amazing? Coded within the message, it, 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 you have the plain text, and, and here you have this message that God wants to bring to people that are oppressed. A hidden message that brings hope to the hopeless, whose lives have been made bitter with hard bondage. They've struggled, and here comes this couple, a people that are destined to lift up and exalt Jehovah the Lord, so that He is glorified and honored. So, this is a message of what? Hold on. I've heard your your cries. I've heard what you're going through. I see what you're going through. Hold on. Your deliverance is here. I've heard you. So, what did they do? If they're the people that are the movers and shakers that are going to lift up the Lord so that He's glorified, what did they do? They had a son called Moses. (laughs) And that was the great triumph. Um, and Moses is really interesting because his word actually means, uh, uh, it's in, in Hebrew, it's Moshe. And, and Moshe means to be drawn out or to rescue. And it, it's really interesting when, when you see here, when you, when you start to put it all together. Uh, so Moses was drawn out the Nile and rescued and he's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Remember all the Hebrew boys? Um, where as they were born, Pharaoh issued a decree that, uh, that the boys would be killed. You girls would have been okay, but us guys, we were, we were thrown into, into the river as crocodile bait. So, um, you know, it was, it was really a, a difficult time. But, you know, Moses is the one that got away. Moses is the one who was rescued. And it's interesting to me to see how his name and his destiny are so interlinked. Okay? It seemed uh, to be intertwined. He was drawn out and rescued from the Nile. He went on to become the one who would rescue and deliver his people from slavery and bondage, didn't he? So when you put the, the, the family names together, by the way, Moses is a prototype of Jesus. And uh, we, we, we won't get into the traditional um, Passover typology this time. We've done it before, but we'll, look, we'll revisit it at a later date. But we, we're going to look at it. But when you put the family's names together, all three family members tell the story of the Exodus. They were a people that were destined to lift up and exalt Jehovah the Lord so that he would be glorified and honored by the one who was drawn out by Moses who had rescued and saved his people from bondage. <laughs> Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. The whole story of the Exodus is round up in those three names. Uh, it's uh, in, unveiled in shadow form, a hidden code uh, by the family's names. You're aware that Moses grew up in the palace as an adoptee uh, of Pharaoh. He had a life of privilege and honor, surrounded by luxury and comfort uh, in Pharaoh's palace. But over the passage of time, he began to wonder about his Hebrew roots. And in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12, it says this, And it came to pass on those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked upon their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Okay, Moses, not, not a promising start as the great deliverer. He's starting out by murdering something. Verse 13 goes on to say, The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting, and he asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Okay. And the man answered, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. No kidding. <laughs> no kidding, bro. This Sherlock is really onto it. Suddenly he realizes that if Pharaoh hears that um, Moses has gone around and murdering uh, the, the Egyptians, his life of luxury just came to an end. He had to flee for his life. Um, and so it was no more palaces, no more luxury, but only the harsh, unrelenting desert with scorpions and snakes and unrelenting heat. What's happening? Moses was going to boot camp. (laughs) Moses was going to boot camp. And let me tell you, each and every one of us will go to God's boot camp. We are no exception. Moses wasn't an exception, and neither will we. Each time it undergoes a time of God's discipline and training in order to make us profitable for the kingdom of God. And so, it's the victor's training camp. Some of you might be in that camp right now. 
God's dealing with you. He, he's, he's put his finger on some sore spots in your life. Okay, you're in boot camp. God is refining you to make you profitable for the, the kingdom of God. It's the refiner's fire. Okay, it's where all the impurities and the fleshly characteristics and our carnal mindsets are removed from us. How many of you want those things removed from your life so that we can be like Jesus? Can you say amen? And so sometimes when God comes along, He starts to put His finger on our life. It can be kind of painful. You know, when He says, I want you to put that to death. I want you to forsake that. I want you to pursue this. He said, but God, I've got no interest in that and I like that. He said, I know, you like your sin. Leave it alone. Pursue this. And so that can be kind of a difficult time. Um, it's God's operating table. We are in boot camp. So God is trying to remove the impurities, the fleshly characteristics, and the carnal mindset. I find that after 60 years of, of serving the Lord, I'm still working on these issues. Anybody else a heathen like me? I don't feel so bad. Okay. So do you remember what it says in the book of Hebrews? Okay. Uh, it says um, with, that God is uh, working on us, He's purifying us, He wants a perfected people. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 7, it says, And have you forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as such? Listen, this is a word of encouragement. What follows doesn't seem like encouragement at all. Okay? But the Bible says it's encouragement. So take it as encouragement. It goes on, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when He rebukes you. That's encouragement. <laughs> Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? Of <laughs> Hallelujah. He goes on to say, uh, He says, uh, In other words, what, what's God saying here? He says, Don't give up. Don't quit when the going gets hard. And as Christians, there are times when the going can get incredibly difficult. And everyone say, Amen. You know, my, my son once said to me, Dad, you preachers only preach about the good things that happen in Christianity. You never talk about the hard and the difficult times. Well, this is one of the times that I, I, I'm talking about that. When God comes and He starts to really work and refine and perfect us. It can be difficult, but it will be glorious. And God goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 6, for the Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? So God comes to work in our life, to purify, to refine, to change our attitudes, our mindset, our vision. He comes to change us from the inside out so that we're going to eventually look like Jesus. And we are all a work in progress. Okay, we're all, we're all in that place. So we, the, the purpose of, is that we're in boot camp. God is training us. And the purpose of boot camp is that soldiers are equipped for anything and everything. When I went into, into the military, we had boot camp. And it was the worst time of my life. Born on. Born on. Guys were committing suicide. 13 guys committed suicide. They were pushing us to the brink and beyond. And so it was a very, very difficult time. But you know, when we graduated from boot camp, we were ready to face anything. We were ready to go out and, and uh, take on any enemy. And that's really the purpose of boot camp. That, that it's to equip you. You have the, the power and the might and the will to prevail when the enemy comes against you. So we are trained in all skills needed to overcome and be victorious. That is what God is doing in your life today. He's trying to make you more than a conqueror. He's trying to equip us so that when the enemy comes, we will prevail in the time of hardship. Can you say amen? amen. This is what God is wanting to do. So that in boot camp, we become strong, we become powerful, effective warriors. This is what happens in boot, in boot camp. Weaklings become warriors. And so the time that you're going through right now that you think, Oh God, this is so difficult. God is refining you. He's perfecting you. He's strengthening you. Because He knows what's down the road. And you need to go through this in order to come out more than a conqueror. And so God is going to do this in your life. And He's going to bless us so that we'll be powerful and effective in the kingdom of God. When God is finished with us, we will be soldiers of the Lord. 
part of the army of God, equipped and ready for anything the devil throws our way. Can you say amen? amen? Aren't you glad that God has not abandoned us, but He's working with us? Yes. God is working in our life. And when, it gets, when, it, when it's difficult, we can say, thank you, God, you're treating me like a son. I'm special because you're working in my life. Okay, so this is what's happening uh, to Moses. He's going through spiritual boot camp. We go through the same spiritual training to prepare us for spiritual warfare. So, remember um, one day David, uh, Moses has now fled because his murder has become known and he, he runs for his life and took out and meets up with the priest of Midian. And one day he's out in the desert and he happens to notice a burning bush that doesn't burn. And as he looks at this, begins to intrigue him. Why doesn't the bush burn? And I think that God's looking for those who are interested in spiritual things. That's the first quality of leadership. Are you interested in spiritual things? Do you have a desire to progress? And Moses looked at this, this bush and it wasn't being concerned. He thought, what goes on? I'm going I'm to go and investigate. And as he drew near, he encounters the glory of God. You know, it's a powerful presence. He's basking in the anointing. He starts to get lost in God. He senses that this is something very, very special. And then the bush speaks. God is speaking to him. God is speaking to Moses. He said, take off your shoes because the place in which you stand is holy ground. And suddenly he realized he's not just come to an amazing bush that doesn't burn. He's coming to the very presence of God himself. And he's standing on holy ground. And he's amazed. And God goes on to say, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid of God. Suddenly he realized he had come into the presence of God. And so he's burning bush. This is what uh, the Bible calls a theophany. Uh, it's the, the, the Greek word theophany. So it really means the appearance of God in visible form, a manifestation of deity in visible form. And this is what God was doing. He was manifesting himself in the burning bush. And so God now, after 40 years of boot camp, God says to Moses, so now I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Woohoo! God's on to these prayers. <laughs> okay, so this is going to be an interesting uh, experience. You know, the first thing that Moses says to God when, when he receives the commission to go and bring the people out of bondage, what does he do? This man of power and faith. He says, God, I can't. I can't. I'm too weak. This is beyond me. I can't do this. And that's really what he's saying. Who am I, God? I can't do this. You've got the wrong guy. You know, that objection has been offered to God millions upon millions upon millions of times. You know, whenever God calls us to do something, don't we feel inadequate? Don't we feel that Jesus is beyond us? Moses said, who am I, God? You've got the wrong guy. Saul, remember when he was going to be crowned king? He thought, no ways. I'm going to go hide in the baggage. These people will never find me. He ran away. Gideon said, I'm the least of my family. God, you've got the wrong family. I'm the, the smallest tribe, the least of the family. I'm, I'm the most insignificant of all of them. You've got the wrong guy. And so over and over again, God has heard this. I'm not worthy. God, I can't do this. This is beyond me. But let me say to you, if God has chosen you, we are ready. Amen? Amen. If God has chosen us, we are ready. Moses has just been commissioned by God. Go rescue the people in bondage. And he asked the question. He says, God, I don't even know who you are. You're sending me to go and deliver a, a nation. Yeah, who are you? And he says, I am that I am. And this will be my name forever. God, okay. Have you ever wondered what it must have been like for Moses to receive such a commandment to go and deliver the, the, the people from bondage. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, on the one hand, I think, wow, what an honor, what a privilege to be chosen of God 
to lead people out of bondage. What you know, he's he's, he's really calling him as a leader uh, to to the, the people uh, that are under bondage. So Moses is going to lead his people out of bondage. He's going to take them out from under the taskmaster's whip, out of the drudgery of slavery, day after day, feeling the same thing. And he's going to give them freedom. What an incredible gift to a slave. He's going to lead them to a beautiful land, to the promised land, the land flying with milk and honey. He's going to give them a life of freedom and prosperity and blessing. Wow! What a wonderful thing to be able to offer the children of Israel. Can you say amen? Amen. And then he's going to take them beyond that. God says, I want you to take them to Horeb and I'm going to reveal myself to them there. That I am the greater I am. And he's going to face them at Horeb. Moses didn't think he could do it. You know, he felt inadequate, inferior. Like Joshua and Saul and Gideon after him, they all felt that the task was beyond them. But how many of you know that if God be for you, who can be against you? If God says you are ready, He says, I will back you with my power and with my anointing and with my ability. Just be obedient to me here and do what I say and you will be victorious. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So, God says you're ready. You're ready. Moses' next objection. He says, oh God, I can't speak. You know, I, you know I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Notice that. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. I don't even know who you are, God. You're really tough. God tries to convince him with what? Signs. He says to Moses, what's it in your hand? He says, it's a staff. He says, throw it down. And what happened? Immediately the staff became a snake. I think Moses jumped back kind of, kind of a few feet, don't you? Yeah. Wow. And then God says to him, pick it up by the tail. Oh, no. I live in Africa. You don't pick up snakes by the tail. That's an act of faith. Because you pick up a snake by the tail in Africa, he's going to turn around and bite you. You don't pick him up by the... You catch him by the head, and then maybe you can grab him by the tail. I remember we were on patrol one time. And we had a herpetologist who was called up uh, and was serving in the army with us. And we got up really early one morning that the sun uh, was just, just breaking the, the horizon. And we were walking along the path, and suddenly we saw this night adder, very poisonous snake. And this herpetologist was so excited, he said, hey, look, guys, and he runs up, and he, and he pins the head, and he grabs the snake, and he picks it up. He said, look, these things are so blooming dangerous. Now, you have to understand, we're about 250 kilometers to the nearest medical uh, facility. And he said, look at this, they're a really dangerous snake, and, and about this size, not a very big snake. But they can pack a whack of poison. And he's holding it by the tail. And the snake is doing this. It's winding itself up, contracting, getting ready to launch. And uh, as he's watching, he's watching the snake. He said, you see, it's getting ready to strike and bite me. And all he did was gave, it a, gave the tail a little oh, flick just... like that. And all the bones in the snake straightened out. And it went straight again. And again, the snake would curl himself up and he'd shake it. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't pick up a snake by the tail unless God tells you to do that. You know, it's not, it's not the best thing. But this was to be a sign. And so as soon as he picks up the, the snake, it becomes a staff again. And Moses, hey, that's a cool trick. That's, a, that's something I'll convince the people of God. And Moses said to him, I want to give you another sign. I mean, God says to Moses, I want to give you another. Put your hand in your jacket. And he pulls it out and he says, God, you've given me leprosy. You know, Lord, that, that was a death sentence. There was no cure for leprosy. And he's standing there recognizing that God has just struck him dead. It's only a matter of time before he falls over. I don't know about you, but I would be kind of worried at this stage. You know, this, this is, you know what, God, what are you doing to me? He said, put your hand back in your jacket. And he pulls it out and he's healed. Wow, what an awesome God. Leprosy. Snakes. Hey, I'm ready to go and take on Pharaoh. You know? So he goes out. Uh, so I'm wondering um, how, how this all is working out. You know, Moses is sent back to Egypt. Moses is given the name of the Lord. He finds out that his name is I Am. He has a problem with his tongue. He picked up snakes. Moses 
hand was healed of leprosy. You want to know what Moses felt like? Like you and I when we've been given the commission of the gospel. Why? Read about it. Mark 16 uh, verses 15 through 18. And he said, go into all the world, not just Egypt, but to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And these, verse 17, and these signs shall follow them. In my name, hello, I am that I am, they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. Moses had a, had a floppy tongue. Uh, they, they shall take up serpents, that sounds familiar, and that if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands upon the sick, and they shall recover. Hallelujah. This is a forerunner of the, the great commission found in the Old Testament. The, the mission and purpose is to go out and rescue people from a Pharaoh that is dominating and abusing them. Know anybody like that in the world who's under Pharaoh's control? So, you know, it's interesting. When folks are saved, we're delivered from the powers of darkness. Can you say amen? amen. You know, we're delivered from the powers of darkness. We're brought into a kingdom that is so much greater than the promised land, than the land flowing in milk and milk. We're in God's kingdom. And it's a blessed place to be. So we're saved. We're healed. We're delivered. We're made more than conquerors. We are prosperous. We don't just visit the mountain of Horeb. God dwells inside us. You know, we are the temples of the great I am. We are God in us, is in us and upon us. And he's anointed us with the Holy Ghost and with power. Hallelujah. Anybody getting excited this morning? Because I'm looking at something. God, this is awesome. Hallelujah. So, you know, Moses was just a shadow of what God plans to do with us. As I said, we're not going to look at the Passover this morning. We've done that in the past. We'll look at that another day. But I want to continue this conversation that God has with Moses. And it's a little bit freaky when we see it's a forerunner of what God wants to do in our lives. Exodus 4 and verse 22. God says, Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go that, so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. And at the lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Wow. Lord, he's your man of power for the hour. This is the guy you've just anointed with the, the, the precursor of the Great Commission. Why do you want to kill him? It's really interesting. Let me just say, there's a lot of controversy around this particular passage, and I, I wish that we'd been given more information, along with many other people, you know. And so, there, there, there are different ideas and different theories about what's going on here, but, and there's a lot of debate going on, but um, I think we've, we've got to just view this, and, and I'm not teaching this as doctrine, but I, I want to give you my interpretation of what I believe that this passage really means, because there are a number of different... Um, variations going on. My first thought was this. If God really wanted to kill Moses, he would, he would stand in his way. <laughs> nothing but nothing would stop God from killing Moses. And yet Moses is still around. So I believe that there's something else going on here. There's a deeper or a hidden meaning somewhere going on. Romans 9.19 says, who can resist God's will? You know. And so, uh, if God's determined to kill you, he's going to do it. So, Let's put everything back into context. Moses has just been in boot camp for 40 years. In that time, he's got married and he's had children. Okay. Let's carry on reading verse, uh, uh, Exodus 20, uh, 4, 24, and 26. At the lodging place along the way. So he's going to Egypt. He's been obedient. And uh, the Lord met Moses, I'm reading from the NIV, and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. And so the Lord let them alone. At that time she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to the circumcision. I think this is about the fact that, uh, you know, Moses and uh, Zipporah had had a conversation uh, about um, circumcision. 
and she wasn't a, an Israelite, and I think she kind of got a little bit defensive of her son. I, I have known you ladies get very defensive at times. Uh, when, when Rich was about two weeks old, we went up to, into the heart of Africa, and we were being, uh, there were a whole lot of elephants that were climbing. And Fee was ready to go out and take on these elephants because they were getting too close to her son. She was protective. And I said, woman, just calm down. You know, I should literally restrain her. She was all, all for chasing them away. Uh, not a, uh, we put it down to, you know, um, some of those issues that ladies have after birth. Um, but, you know, I think that this was probably what was going on with... Uh, uh, Moses and Zipporah, you know, they, they had this discussion and uh, uh, Moses hadn't circumcised them and uh, it was really um, in order to keep peace, I think, you know, um, and I, I think reading between the lines, it's obviously that they, they talked about this because when, when, when the, the, the time of judgment came, Zipporah knew exactly what to do and she went and grabbed a flint knife and circumcised her son, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's very interesting when you read it in the authorized version in the King James. She says, "A bloody husband thou art." I can just see her saying that with a little bit of attitude, can't you? <laughs> She's really upset, you know. A bloody husband thou art because of circumcision. She said, "I." She probably viewed this as being mutilation of her child. You're not going to do this to my child. It's brutal. It's barbaric. You're not going to do this. And poor old Moses, anything for peace, sweetheart, I'll, I'll give up. And so he, he didn't do that. And now it's kind of interesting. Um, so he's on his way to Egypt. He's going to confront powers and principalities um, that have, he has never experienced before. Egypt recognized more than 2,000 gods and demigods. Uh, this was going to be a spiritual battle, the likes of which the world had never seen. And we are still talking about it all these thousands of years later. That's how monumental and epic this battle was going to be. It was a confrontation, uh, a, a, a battle royal. It was the clash of the gods. It's the, the god of the Bible versus uh, the gods of Egypt. The battle um, that was going to be uh, remembered in history. But you know, in not circumcising um, his children on the eighth day, as he was supposed to do, what had he done? He, Moses, had broken the blood covenant. He'd broken the blood covenant. You can read about it in Genesis 17, verse 14. We, we, we see the explanation. The uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised that soul shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. He's obviously speaking about the father, because Matt gave an eight-day-old child can't circumcise himself. Uh, so the father has broken the covenant. And it's a blood covenant. Amen? A blood covenant. And the terms of the blood covenant were this. If the, the, when, when, remember when Abraham cut, cut the blood covenant, he, he, he divided the animals in half and, and they recited the terms of the covenant as he was walking through. And they were saying, if, I, if we don't keep this covenant, I'm going to be like these animals that have been split down the middle. <coughs> you're going to die. You break the terms of a blood covenant, death is what you're going to receive. And this is exactly what God is trying to get across to, to Abraham. Abraham, you are not under the covenant you, you've, you've violated the covenant and now you are in great danger. You are in trouble because you have violated and broken my covenant. What happened? Moses listened to his partner rather than God. Oh, does that happen today? Yeah, I'm afraid it does, you know. We need to be obedient. When you do that, you violate the covenant. You're vulnerable to the enemy's attack. And are no longer under God's protection and blessing. We need to be very careful that we serve the Lord with gladness. Remember, we looked at Leviticus uh, 26, 3, verses 5. It says, If you walk in uh, my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then God was going to give all these blessings. And then uh, and, and verse 4 it says, And you will dwell safely in the land. Well, Moses hadn't done that. 
Moses hadn't done that. He'd violated and broken the covenant, and now he deserved to die. So, we're not wise when we obey our husbands and wives rather than the Lord. Can I have an amen? Amen. I want to suggest this to you. There's no safer place to be than under the blood. Amen? No safer place to be than under the blood. I thank God that Jesus is our sacrifice. I thank God that He's the one who protects us and He is the one who blesses us. So, Zipporah circumcised her son and touched Moses' feet with it. What was she doing? Symbolically, she was putting Moses back <coughs> under the blood covenant. The protection and safety that God had promised. And what did the Lord do? The Lord withdrew. Now he was prepared for victory. He was assured. When we go into the world under the blood of Christ to preach the gospel, we're anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power to save the lost, to set the captives free, to heal the sick, Victory is assured. Can you say amen? amen? Psalm 16 verse 12, and I close with this, is through our God we shall do valiantly, for it is He who will tread down the enemy. We're not going in our own power. We're going in God's power. We're going under the anointing of the Lord. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can preach the gospel and see people snatched out from under Pharaoh, Satan's domain, and brought into the promised land. The kingdom of God. And so God wants to use and minister to us. I want to open the altar this morning for those who would like a touch from the Lord. Maybe it has nothing to do with what I said this morning, but you just feel, man, I, I just want God to speak to me. I just want to be touched by the Lord this morning. Uh, perhaps you need healing in your body. I invite you to come forward. Perhaps you need courage to preach the gospel. I want you to come forward. Because I believe God wants to make a people like Moses. A powerful people who will deliver the world from darkness and bring them into the kingdom of His dear Son. Amen? And so God wants to use each and every one of us if we're available. And I'm telling you right now, some of you think, I'm not going forward. I'm not going forward. But you know, if you, if you are hesitant, if you need healing, if you need courage to preach the gospel, um, if, you, if you need anything at all, I want to invite you to come forward right now. Praise God. Praise God. For those of you sitting in, in the house and saying, you know, I'm okay today, God said something. Why don't you join me in prayer? Why don't you, why don't you pick up somebody here and just begin to minister to them and just ask God's blessing and anointing upon them? Let's just do some body ministry as the Lord speaks.